Good day and welcome to another episode of the International News Desk. Whether you're tuning in on snl24.com forward slash Soccer Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Play, welcome to the show. Again, I am joined by Mr. Kurt Buckerfield. How are you, my friend? Shawnee, I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I forgot to intro myself. I'm Sean Roberts, by the way. Um, Cody, let's start with your stunt double, Ronaldo, um, <laughs> claiming that Saudi is better than the MLS and a lot, a, a, a large part of Europe. What's your opinion on that? Um, yeah, I found this this very strange. So it's obvious. It's obviously since uh, Messi's been revealed, right? Or, or do you think it's a little bit of a dig there? Yeah. So I'm gonna just give you the context. Um, you know, where he said it, et cetera, et cetera. So it was after Al Nasser played Salta Vigo in a preseason friendly this week. Mm-hmm. Um, they were batted 5-0. Um, and shortly after that, Ronaldo was asked a few questions. So it's important to note that he wasn't just speaking about this without, you know, he was being asked questions and he was answering. Yes. It wasn't the, the Piers Morgan thing. Yeah. So basically he was asked about, uh, you know, his, his move to Al Nasser, he was asked about the potential of one day maybe playing in the MLS following Messi's recent move to Inter Miami. Um, and this is when Ronaldo said that he believes, you know, he will never return to Europe because Europe has lost its quality, um, which was quite strange. And he then said that um, the only strong league in Europe is the Premier League, which is obviously conveniently the last European league that he played in Um, and then he said that the Saudi Pro League is much stronger than the MLS Um, which again is just factually incorrect I mean there's like a a ranking um, what are they called now team something I can't remember but it's a ranking sort of sports company um, and they've got MLS as the the 29th strongest league in the world Mm -hmm. compared to Saudi Arabia's league which is 59th in the world Mm -hmm. so it's still got a long way to go and of course that can change um but i just found i just found the 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 comments lacked a bit of class from ronaldo Mm, distasteful it's it's not a good look i think you know what would it really would it really hurt ronaldo to just be like you know what good luck to messi um Mm. i'm happy uh in saudi arabia it's just a it's just a strange one it comes across as as very insecure um and i think you know Ronaldo's trying to put up this facade that he's in Saudi Arabia to compete. Um, it's like he's trying to, you know, get this message across that he's there to win things. And, you know, he's still the, the Ronaldo of old. Um, but we all know, and this is where he's contradicted himself, we all know that he tried to stay in Europe yeah. pretty desperately. I mean, he, his, his agents offered him to every club that would listen. Mm-hmm. Um, Napoli, I think Chelsea, Bayern Munich were, were just among a few teams to have turned down um, a move for Ronaldo. Um, they, there was no mutual interest there. Mm. The big ones being Chelsea and Bayern. Mm. So I just found it a little strange that Ronaldo will turn around and say that Europe has lost its quality when just a few months prior he was desperate to remain. Um, so yeah, it's it's super convenient. But again, it's super Ronaldo and it's, it's also fun, you know, as a as a fan, as a journalist, it's great. It gives us headlines to write about. Absolutely. But it, it does come across as a little insecure. Mm. Um, and when it comes to this rivalry in particular, Messi and Ronaldo, throughout the 15, 16, 17 years of, of um, you know, this, I mean, incredible sports rivalry, yeah. we've kind of only heard from one side 
mm. which is the Ronaldo side. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, look, Messi's gone to the MLS to enjoy the the last few years of his career, having won two major international trophies in consecutive years for Argentina. He's happy. He's chill. Mm. He's there to to sort his family out. Um, they're going to have a lovely life in Florida. Um, whereas Ronaldo has gone to to Saudi Arabia, taking his family with him. Um, and is trying to to tell us that he's competitive and that he's there to win. Where, you know, he's the highest paid player in the in the country in the world. Um, so of course he's going to say those things. Um, it's only natural. But anyway, I found I found them a little distasteful. Yeah, I think, uh, and don't forget, Messi's move is a, a purely a business move as well. Post post retirement, right? Yeah, no, of course. Mm. Um, but but Messi for a long time has said that the MLS was something that he was interested. Um, or the, was the league that he was interested in playing in. Mm. He always wanted to go to America to play out the, the final you know, uh, stage of his career. I think it's a more comfortable life. I, I know that he will, of course, being Lionel Messi, be mobbed by fans from time to time, mm. but it's, it, it's a lot different to, to the life that he was living in Europe. Um, and I think he said that after his experience in France, he just wanted to feel settled. So I think that, um, this move, of course, Sean, is incentivized by the, the money we'll earn, of course. Mm. But I don't think that Messi is trying to to put up this um, this uh, this Facade, act that he's yeah. there to win, and that that he, you know, you can't get relegated from the MLS. Um, <laughs> there's zero competition there. Into Miami, the team that he just joined are, are last. Um, I think they're in the is, is it the Eastern or Western Conference? They're last on the table. Um, Messi's not there to win. Mm. Of course, he's there to to earn a nice chunk of money, but also, more importantly, I think it's to live more comfortably outside of football with his family. Yeah, no better place possibly than Miami, right? Yeah, yeah. And just back to to the Ronaldo thing briefly. I mean, um, he had a big fallout with his longtime agent George Mendes when his agent wasn't able to get him another club in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the main reasons for their very high-profile split. So, yeah, it's it's a little strange for Ronaldo to come out now and say that you know Europe has, has lost its quality. I think it's a little it's a little silly of him, um, but but that's Ronaldo, and that's why we we love him, we hate to love him. It's uh, it's great entertainment. Yeah, sometimes it's better if sportsmen just keep their mouth shut, Gertie. But let's uh, sort of stick Ronaldo in a way and go to his ex team in terms of Man United. Uh, they are obviously in search of a new number nine. Um, apparently, you have agreed personal terms with Rasmus Holland as they look to add a new striker to the ranks. But is he the right man, Kurt? So, you know, this is one of those moments where me as a, as a journalist and a football fan just has to go, I don't know, because mm. I, I truly don't know. And I don't think a lot of people know. Mm. Um, so I believe, Sean, the pronunciation is Rasmus Hoyland, so Ooh. that you don't pronounce the D. Um, Anyway, I just I, I googled that this morning, by Thank the way, you. in preparation. For you. This, so Thank I'm you. not uh, trying to come across as smart. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Rasmus Hoyland wasn't Manchester United's priority target. I think it was clear that they wanted Harry Kane, but were yep. priced out of a deal. Um, we don't know an awful lot about him, but he's got a pretty decent um, goals to to minutes ratio wherever he's played. He came through at Copenhagen in. Um, in, in Denmark a few years ago, then moved to Sturm Graz in Austria. Mm. Um, I think scored 12 goals and 21 appearances there and then went to Atalanta in Italy, mm. yes. um, where he's largely 
been used as a as a substitute. But 14 goal contributions uh, in his debut season. He's only been there for, for one year, um, and he's he's kind of playing behind the more experienced uh, Colombian duo of Duvan Zapata and Luis Muriel. So he's not someone who's a first choice striker there. But from what I've read and from what I've seen personally. He does have a very high ceiling. I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, a left-footed striker, 1.9 meters tall, mm. looks pretty strong. Um, seems to be an out-and-out goal scorer, and I mm. think that Manchester United could do with one. Um, I've watched their first two preseason friendlies, and at the moment, we're so short up there. We've 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 played Sancho as a as a sort of false nine, yeah. um, which of course is not something that will work long term. Um, so yeah, we we believe that Hoylan has agreed personal terms with Manchester United. He really wants the move, um, and it's just now for Manchester United to actually agree uh, a fee with Atalanta. They they are apparently asking for around 65, 70 million. Sure, that's a lot of money. Um, and just in terms of United's limited budget, I mean, it's it's a concern, right? It is a concern. Look, I think this one will be drawn out for a while. So yeah. Andre Onana is actually um, he's, he's actually scheduled to join Manchester United's preseason tour in the United States today mm-hmm. um, on, on Thursday. Um, so that deal is done. Uh, he's, he's signed his contract. He'll be announced, I'm sure, in the next 24 hours. Um, and now the club have moved on to, to their next target, which is Hoyland, it seems. Mm. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's quite risky, I think. Um, putting that much money down for a 20-year-old striker who hasn't got a, a whole lot of experience playing, sort of, you know, at the in the top leagues. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's he scored six goals in six games for Denmark, and I think that's where he really made his name um, earlier this year. He scored a hat trick on his full debut for Denmark in a European qualifier, and people started to talk about him after that. But look, his his arrival I think will depend on sales. Um, Alex Tellez is very close to joining Cristiano Ronaldo at Al Nasser. Um, there should be a transfer fee brought in there. Eric Bailly is another player who is about to be moved on. Um, Dean Henderson, um, mm. the goalkeeper, is expected to join Forrest. Um, I think United want around 30 million for him. Oh. Fred is linked with Fulham. Um, I think he's also actually been linked with clubs in Saudi Arabia. McTominay is someone that the club are, are are considering the sale of. So I'm sure it will depend on 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 money coming in. But mm. um, yeah, this one will I think drag out for a while probably. Yeah, and we'll keep a close eye on that. Let's stay with United though, Kurti. Um, Eric Ten Hag has named Raphael Varane as Manchester United's captain for the first game after Harry Maguire's demotion. Harry Maguire. I mean, it was always going to happen, right? Yeah, I, I yeah. Um, as a Manchester United fan, let me just say that I'm over the moon about this decision. Yeah. Um, I think Ten Hag has really played this one very well. Um, I read a piece that that put it in um, that put it in such a, a nice way. It was earlier this week when when the news was coming out that Ten Hag was going to change his captain. I don't think he had at the time, but they were basically saying that you know if he had come in Ten Hag last year and immediately stripped. Maguire of the armband, it, it might have been seen as provocative. Mm-hmm. And then you have to deal with this very unhappy defender, high profile defender, by the way, for a full season. Um, and in terms of squad harmony, 
in terms of trying to get something out of that player who's unhappy, yeah. it's, it's quite a, a hard ask. So yeah. I think he's done it at the right moment. Um, Maguire didn't start a whole lot of games last season. Um, I think it was only nine Premier League games that he started. Mm. Um, or maybe even less than that. I can't remember now. But yeah, he lost his, his place in the team. He, he lost his importance. Bruno Fernandes, captain Manchester United for pretty much uh, most of the 22-23 the season. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's probably the way things will go. Um, I think Bruno Fernandes will be announced as, as the permanent captain. I'm sure Maguire will still be in the leadership group. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure that he'll want to be vice-captain or, or take on that role. So, yeah, um, Ten Hag's basically putting the ball in his court and saying that, look, and, and, and Ten Hag's come out and said this, we aren't going to force Maguire to leave. It's, it's for him to make a decision. Um, but I think this move is a, is a slight push in that direction. It's basically saying, please go and find another club because you aren't in my plans. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I mean... Um, maybe there is a lot of credit going to Ten Hag, but I don't know from an outsider. Um, is there enough credit going towards him in terms of how he's handled situations, the Ronaldo story, this debacle, just getting United back on track? I mean, it's, you know, what a signing, Kurt. What a signing. I know, and it looks, I mean, to me, it looks like he, he hasn't put a foot wrong yet. Yeah. And that's been really impressive. And he's been in the job now for more than a year. Um, he got the Ronaldo call spot on. You know, he was absolutely right to drop Ronaldo when he did. Um, and he was absolutely right to to eventually, um, you know, sort of green light the mutual termination of Ronaldo's contract. Um, there was the De Gea situation, which, of course, United as a club could have handled better. But Ten Hag dealt with that pretty well because um, they are replacing De Gea with someone better suited to his system. Correct. Um, and now with the you know, taking the, the armband away from Maguire, I think it's the right move because it would have been a little weird, I think, to go into next season with Maguire still as club captain, even though we know that he's, I think, not even the fourth choice centre-back at this point. I think he might be fifth choice. So he's fallen down the picking order quite a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, for his career, mm. I reckon the best move would be trying to find a new club. I, I can't see him. I mean, how old is Harry Maguire now? 30. Yeah, so he could he, he could hang around for the money, I guess. Um, <laughs> let's see. Let's move on to uh, a huge deal for Arsenal. Declan Rice, um, good signing. Is it worth the price tag, though? Yeah, look, I mean, who's worth the price tags these days anyway, Sean? Yeah. Like, who's yeah. worth that kind of money? Um, I think it's a great signing. Mm. I think uh, Declan Rice takes Arsenal to a new level. I really do. Um, top player... I think that he's only going to get better. Yeah. I think he, he'll become even more influential as he gets older um, with more experience. But yeah, I think close to 40 appearances for England already, or maybe he's even reached 40 appearances for England. Um, played over 200 games for, for West Ham. Captain them last season was excellent. Was. Um, just seems to be getting better and better. And I think that he, he'll be a massive boost to that Arsenal dressing room, not just with what he does as a footballer, and his effectiveness on the pitch in terms of breaking up play, carrying the ball forward, um, but his personality, his leadership, he's a natural leader. Um, I think it was Frank Lampard who recently said in this interview he was doing where he said he was trying to get Chelsea to sign Declan Rice when he first joined because he thought Declan Rice was going to be Chelsea's captain for the next 10 years. Wow. So he's very highly rated and highly thought of um, among you know, his peers and, and football people. 
And I think that um, it's massive for Arsenal to get a signing like that over the line, especially when there are clubs like Manchester United, clubs like City, mm. who have been interested in him for a very long time. Chelsea. Um, yeah, so it's massive, massive, massive signing. Um, a lot of money to part ways with, mm. but I think that he, he really can be that influential for Arsenal that, um, you know, it's, it's a deal that will easily pay off. Yeah, I mean, the amounts easily eclipses Arsenal's previous record fee of £72 million paid to Nicolas Pepe. But um, is it the right move for him? Yeah, look, it doesn't guarantee him trophies like a move to City would have. Yeah. Um, but if I'm honest, Sean, and I know you're a City fan, so I'm not trying to provoke you here. But if I'm honest, I, I kind of like that. I kind yeah. of like that he's taken on this challenge because it could have been pretty simple for him to to make it clear that he wanted to join City when City put down that offer. Um, of course, the offer wasn't enough for West Ham to accept, yeah. but it would have been very easy for Declan Rice to make it, you know, uh, his mission to, to join City and to potentially walk away with at least two or three trophies every season. Um, I like the fact that he's done this. It shows that this is someone who's driven and is determined to to try and help take Arsenal to a new level. Um, and I, yeah, for me, I just respect the move. I respect it a lot. I, I, I'm not sure yet if it's if it's the right move, mm. but me personally, I like it. Um, yeah, I think yeah, it's going to help I, I, his career. I couldn't agree more, uh, to be honest. Um, I guess the season Arsenal had last season was a big factor in this move for him, Kurt. Of course, of yeah. course. Arsenal are a club on the up. And I mean, they've got Kai Havertz. Uh, they recently signed him from Chelsea. Um, now Declan Rice. So they seem to be making these high-profile signings from clubs in the Premier League. So they're signing players who've, who've been there. They, they're used to the league. Um, they aren't going to need time to sort of get used to, to what's going on there. Um, so yeah, it's it's a smart it's a smart transfer strategy from Arsenal, um, and it's a really I think it's a smart move from Declan Rice. I like yeah. it. Yeah, I'm actually getting very excited for the upcoming season, my boy. Um, Curly, let's move on to the newest edition of our podcast, Seeking the Socials, where our producer Aidan Hewitt goes through social media and asks us a very random question. Let's do it. I'm excited. Off to you, Aidan. Brilliant. Well, Sean, you kind of uh, ruined my intro there. I was going to, you know, inform new listeners what Seeking the Socials was, but but you beat me to it. Um, this week, once again, we are returning to a Lucky Packet situation or pick and choose. You guys can, can figure out the names. I can't remember who chose last week, but for this week, do you guys want to decide? Do you want to play rock, paper, scissors? How do you want to go about this? You know what? Because Kurtz is very, very good looking. I'm going to let him go first. It's just the camera. Um, <laughs> thanks, Sean. Um, let's let's go with... Uh, what are the options, Aiden? Are we going Twitter, Twitter Facebook, Instagram? Instagram? Okay, let's go Instagram. There's a lot of shit on there. Let's go. Okay. That's, that's quite a good one. Something I personally feel quite strongly about. The only reason people are upset about the pro, Saudi Pro League's financial dominance is because it proves the Premier League is no longer the wealthiest league in the world. What are your thoughts on that? Hmm. Sure. I wow. think there's an element of that. I think there's an element of jealousy. Um, because I do understand the irony of all these Premier League people, pundits, players, coaches, criticizing the Saudi Pro League when essentially the Premier League has been the most dominant and the, the wealthiest for, for the longest period. Um, at least over the last 
you know, 15, 20 years. So I do understand the irony there. And I do think that uh, there's, there's some contradiction. Um, but I do also think that there's a, a real concern about the, the, the potential sports washing that might be going on here um, when it comes to the human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one, Aiden, but I do think that there are very real concerns. Um, and look, I've seen a lot of people say, well, how can these players reject that kind of money? How can Jordan Henderson go say no to 700,000 um, pounds a week when he's earning 200,000 pounds a week at Liverpool? Um, you know, there's an argument there that he's already a wealthy guy who's, who's played the last 20 years of his career earning pretty good money. Um, 200,000 pounds is nothing to scoff at. That's a lot of money. So I get the argument, does he need more? But then again, it's like, well, are you in his position? Um, it's probably the only opportunity he'll ever have to, to, to bring in that kind of money. Um, so yeah, I think it's very layered and complicated. Um, and I understand sort of all sides of, of the argument, to be honest. Yeah, Cody, it's you. You said it's uh, it's very late. It's very complicated. It, it gives people like Kurt a lot of content, right? Like it's it's good to talk about. It's uh, I didn't realize Henderson's deal was seven hundred thousand pounds a week. That is just absolutely ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. Um, and he's been a great servant to Liverpool. And whether he deserves it or not, that's another competition. But but I think Aiden, my question is, how do you just or how do you? How does one say what is the wealthiest league in the world? Because in my opinion, the wealthiest league in the world is how much money the league brings in in terms of their broadcasting rights. So, and still, by far, it must be the Premier League could, by far. Um, in terms of individual wealthy owners, yeah. I mean, there's no one that can top uh, Saudi and probably never will be. Um, but just to clarify, Aiden, I still, in my opinion, the wealthiest league in the world is still the Premier League in terms of broadcasting rights. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what people pay for that. It's in the billions and billions of pounds every year. Um, but yeah, it is very, very late. It's very complicated. And who are we to judge the players that are moving for seven, for 20 million rand a week, 80 million rand a month? Come on, guys. It's a billion rand a year. Yeah. And, and another thing that should be pointed out there, Aiden, just jumping on the back of what Sean said, is that Four teams in the Saudi Pro League are owned by the government. Um, and I've read that, so it's the PIF, the Public Investment Fund, um, Mohammed bin Salman, essentially owns now four clubs in the country. Um, and, and it's very complicated because you see the clubs like, uh, Premier League clubs like, like Chelsea, like Newcastle, um, offloading players to the Saudi Pro League. So, from, so what's happening basically is because Mohammed bin Salman the, the the face of the PIF owns Newcastle. Um, he is offloading players from Newcastle. He's about to offload Alan St. Maxim to, I think it's Ali Lal or Al Nasser, I can't remember. But he's selling a player, one of his assets from one club that he owns to another club that he owns. So I think that in time, there will be a lot of investigation into what's going on here and whether this is actually legal or should be legal and whether mm. this is good for the game. Um, so that's a whole different story that will, you know, that will all come out at some point. Um, but the PIF I read earlier this year, um, and I, I believe it to be true, 
they pay Ronaldo nine tenths of his salary. His club, Al Nasser, pay him a tenth of what he's earning there. So he's the highest paid player in the world. Um, the government, the Saudi government, are paying him most of what he earns there. So, like Sean just pointed out, it's not the league that is incredibly wealthy. It's the government, you know, putting money into the four clubs in particular um, to try and boost the league's profile, obviously. Um, and I think that for a lot of teams, for a lot of players, over time, I don't think it's going to end well because we're already seeing, I mean, Pizza Masimane, who was at Al Ahli in, in um, Saudi Arabia last season in the second division there, um, for the last five months of his contract, he said that he wasn't paid. He's in fact taken that club to FIFA. Um, now that's a club that's owned by the PIF now, um, following their promotion. So there's going to be so much drama. I think that there will be a lot of incidents like that where players aren't paid, um, coaches aren't paid. Um, how much of this money is real? I don't really understand it. It's like, it's mind-boggling. It's, I can't wrap my head around it. So it's an interesting one, but again, very complicated. Um, I understand all all arguments. Um, I don't think, I mean, with Jordan Henderson, if you guys would allow me to just go into this for a second, he's been like positioned or he's positioned himself as like this ally of, of marginalized groups within England. And he's been very outspoken for the LGBT uh, Q plus community, um, he's sort of been championed as this, like, you know, this hero in those groups. And now a lot of them are super unhappy with his decision to, to move to Saudi Arabia, um, seemingly because it looks like he's just going there for money and he's been bought out. Um, and I understand that argument. But then I also think to myself, personally, should we make footballers into these sort of heroes? Should, should they be the people who we, we lean on for political advice and views? I mean, Sean, you were a footballer. You, you've shared a dressing room with tons of footballers. Mm. How many times were you guys sitting in a dressing room discussing politics? I mean, if you're a professional footballer, your, your main thought process is to be as maybe as good as you can. Um, for some, everyone has different motivations. But you really just want to be the best player you can be because you want to impress the coach. You want to get into the team. That's all you're thinking about. Every day you're thinking about the competition, about am I going to play this weekend? Um, does the coach like me? You feel insecure as a footballer. There's so much on your plate. There's so much to worry about, um, which I can relate to just as an amateur footballer. Why do we expect these people to be at the forefront of every political revo revolution? I think that's unfair on them. Um, and I know that this is maybe wrong to say, but I've always thought that most footballers are dumb. You know, why, why do we want them to be the face of, of these, these marginalized groups? It doesn't make sense to me. So yeah. Jordan Henderson might have positioned himself that way. And maybe he did feel strongly about it. But maybe he was also just saying what he thought was right. Mm. Maybe he was just trying to make certain people happy because that's the time we live in right now. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think it's a little unfair on him. And I think that... Could you, could you really, if you were in that position, if you were offered £700,000 a week to play the thing you love under a manager you idolize, Steven Gerrard, would you turn that down? I don't think it makes a lot of sense. But anyway, those are just my two cents. Yeah. And that, and that was the weekly rant by Kurt. That was, that was a hell of a lengthy one. 
but that was great now i think that opens a lot of doors a lot of insight <clears throat> it's definitely an educational topic as well i think there's a lot of lot of mystery going on for a lot of people and i think that sums it up pretty pretty well Kurt. so i appreciate that guys that's all i have for you thanks, this Adam. week next week we will dive back into seeking the socials thanks Aiden. thanks Aiden. Miss, miss you already uh Kurti, before we log off anything we should be keeping our eyes and ears open for besides obviously the obvious in terms of transfers anything else we've missed um not a whole lot sean obviously it's the the women's world cup starting from today mm -hmm. um so that's something to look forward to um no look there's a lot of pre-season games going on now manchester united are playing arsenal this weekend um in the in the us in a in a pre-season fixture Nice. Um, I think Manchester United after that then play Wrexham um, and then Real Madrid, which is quite fun. Wow. Um, City, I know that you said besides transfers, et cetera, et cetera, but City are closing in for that, uh, for a deal for Josko Gavardiol, the, the Croatian centre-back. Mm -hmm. Close to 100 million pounds, Sean, or yeah. euros, rather. It's a lot of money, isn't it? Um Jeez. Yeah, and it's all about board, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, no. So that's that's all I have to say for now. Kitty, as always, you are a breath of stale air, and that is how we wrap up this episode of the International News Desk. So whether you have been listening on SNL24.com forward slash Sakuladuma, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, thank you for tuning in. I've been your host, Sean Roberts, and of course, Kurt the Dirt Buckerfield. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Shawnee. Cheers, buddy. 